to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss all things weather and how they can impact our daily lives. I'm meteorologist and weather presenter Gemma. And I'm meteorologist and weather presenter Ashling, and we are really excited for you to hear all from all of our guests today. We are bringing you a very, very special episode today, all of the way from Bristol and from the Blue Earth Summit. It's been a crazy couple of days, very, very busy, but we have spoken to some amazing people and we can't wait for you to hear their stories. I'm Emma Askew. I'm an environmental researcher and communicator and I founded Earth Minutes around three years ago and we specialise in environmental communications. Our mission is to drive the future of environmental thinking and learning and what we mean by that is that we want to make environmental research and science fundamentally more accessible to more people. Also we want to make sure that we tell it in a sustainable way. So that's our roundup mission and uh, we're a young group of environmental researchers and creatives. So we're very passionate in not only engaging young people in the environmental space but also including them at all sorts of leadership levels. So you've got a lot of sort of science in your background. You grew up near the coast. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so was, this, was this just always straightforward for you that you were going to do something and why? Why, why, why were you like, I need to do something? What were you yeah. saying that you needed to do it's something? It's a great question. Why am I doing it? <laughs> um, so I started in um, environmental science myself. So I worked in the soil science sector for a number of years. Um, my dad is a soil scientist, so I grew up with that being in my family, something that I knew. So I've always been interested in my local area, my local nature. And I live down in Devon, so also by the coast. So I worked from the age of 16 with a charity called Surf Against Sewage. So ocean and soil were my two areas of interest and that I worked a lot in. But the soil science sector was very, in particular, the place that I learned the hard way, the disconnection between art and science, and not from their doing. The scientists wanted to communicate their incredible research, their very important research, but just down to the inaccessibility of how to communicate these messages, and also, fundamentally, the affordability, um, you know, how to start doing that. So that's where I built Earth Minutes to really start to tackle and bridge that gap. So that's kind of how it all started. Um, why do you think it is so important to communicate uh-huh. these messages, but particularly to younger audiences? Yeah, I think I think ultimately we all have the right to think and live more sustainably because we all live on a planet. We have the right to know how our local area impacts us, how we impact our local area. So I think environmental science should be integrated in every aspect of what we do. But that's mainly from the perspective of, at the moment, it's put in a box of an interest. Are you interested in the environment? Are you interested in geography? I think to really unpick that and make sure that actually every element of our lifestyle impacts the environment, it impacts us. So it needs to be integrated, not as an interest, but as a basis to how we live and think. So very, very important. Um, And I also think from a young person's perspective, again, those influential years of how our connection to nature starts is crucial to how we then integrate it into the way we think, the way we work, um, and the way that we, you know, apply our lifestyles. So 
having that from a young age, building that connection wherever you live. If you're in the city, you're still connected to the ocean. It's just making sure that we connect the dots. So both the connection and integrating the environment at every level of our the way we think and live, our lifestyles, is fundamental and I think the future of how we yeah, live on the planet. I think that's the thing about people that live in cities, they feel very disconnected from the ocean yeah. and they don't realise that what they're doing actually yeah. has an impact. Because they're yeah. like, well I live in the I live in a city. Yeah. But I'm nowhere near the coast. It's two yeah. hours when we see it to the coast. Why should I even actually care? Totally. And do you know, I think that's really important because I totally agree. Like, if you're not gonna be given the or join the dots, if the you know that's not gonna be explained, why should you care? It, you know, it's not made obvious. And I work with a lot of students based in London um, around ocean learning, and a lot of the time they just think I'm distant from the coast. I'm not impacting it. It's not my problem. And you know, it's fair enough if you think that way. So it's how we then explain, actually by dropping that bottle in the street, how that is going to get to the ocean. As soon as you apply that information and provide those resources, people build up that connection and, you know, realise that they're having an impact and then they care. You know, people want to be able to care. They, they usually do care. But if we're not going to fill that gap, you just don't know. So most people in London as well, like, they don't realise that their actions through climate change leads to sea yeah. level rise and then the Thames will rise and therefore we'll probably need a new Thames barrier. That impacts London. Yeah. Like, that's so, that feels so far away yeah. from their day-to-day lives that they probably don't even take that into account. Yeah, and going, going straight back to soil as well, that's a really important one where it's not only, they're not only connected to the ocean, but urban communities need soil and the disconnection from people realising that actually they do need soil is unreal because you think soil is more for farmers and inherently it is for growing food but you still need to have green spaces in London for various climate change reasons and mental health reasons um, but also for growing food urban growing whether it's using soil or not is fundamental to how we're also going to evolve our lifestyles so all those elements are just important for everybody it's just how we integrate that into different audiences and reconnect them to different audiences. You know, so you mentioned a lot about just connect with students and, and like you've been doing this now for a couple of years. Is there much climate anxiety amongst the people that you talk to and what what do you do about it and how has it like changed what you're doing as well? So I'm sure what you started with, you know, yeah. Oh my goodness. Firstly, yes and yes and yes. <laughs> there is a lot of climate anxiety more than ever. Uh, not just with the people we work with, but within our own team, within ourselves. I think working on these projects as much as we, a lot of the time, trying to empower and inspire people, researching them fundamentally drains you. There's so many different projects, issues, challenges to tackle that that in itself can be overwhelming. But I think especially over the last couple of weeks, with the UK government in particular, with the decline in climate policy, climate anxiety has just skyrocketed and it's gone through the roof. And we had a, a youth summit recently uh, where we were just really brutally honest about it. We all felt hopeless and we actually ended up making sure that the event was more of a community event to support each other and to make sure that we can just support each other through learning uh, different areas of what we can do, but also making sure that we give that space for rest as well with each other. One of us, as an individual, won't be able to communicate to everybody about you know all these different topics, so it's how we can work together collectively. But an organisation we work really closely with is called Force of Nature, 
and they tackle a lot of kind of anxiety and transform it into action. And I couldn't recommend them enough. We join their monthly calls with their community groups to not only offload our own climate anxieties but learn about others climate anxieties and support each other but also they have a number of resources they have climate cafes across the uk we also run their climate cafes as well to speak to other people not only educate other people but again make sure that climate anxiety is a known term unpick what that actually means how it makes people feel and again provide that support for all those people not only young people but 100% young people are feeling a lot of the weight because it's very scary to realise it's your future. It's the, the weight is on your shoulders, essentially. Looking forward to the future. You know, I was listening to the radio, um, I don't know where it was going, so I can't recall what I was listening to, but there was young people talking about stuff, the climate and what they were worried about in the future. And I did, genuinely didn't know that... Like people who were born is after two thousand, like really, like have this idea in their heads that they have to fix this, and that it's not their fault, and they really feel helpless about yeah. it. And these were like teenagers, and they were talking about, you know, they're worried about like their parents not being able to buy food, yeah. and like getting part time jobs because they wanted to help in the house, and at the same time worried about this. Yeah. I, know, I know where climate anxiety, and I know all of this, but I actually felt genuinely um, like shocked. Because I, I feel it from my own children. I didn't know. Actually, hearing it, it's like, God, you're really worried. Yeah. Really worried. And it's growing. It's a, it's a growing source of climate anxiety. And I can't speak for everybody, but for myself, I think a large part of that is the fact that our net zero targets are looming. So 2050 is the UK's zero target. But we can't go beyond the 1.5 degrees Celsius rising. And we know that that time is getting shorter. You know, people being born closer to that target are more aware than ever how short that time period is. And to be honest, seeing the delay, not even lack of action, but the pure climate delay on action at the moment is just, you know, it's so obvious that we're not going to reach those targets. So I think that's a lot of the time, for me personally, that's where that climate anxiety is stemming from. You know, we can see it. We see this summer, a lot of us can go on holiday because of the wildfires. Some of us are living there and experiencing that. So I think it's not only seeing it with your own eyes, but also just seeing the, the pure timeline of it is where that's all stemming from. So one last thing I'm going to ask you, because um conscious we've taken more of your time, but... So myself and Gemma are all about the hope and and actually in a hopeless situation you need hope. So what is your hope? Do you have hope? What do you yeah. what hope do you see in your work? What hope what gives you hope? At the moment the core reason for why I have hope is community. So I the people I work with, um, clients, young people partners, collaborators, there's so many different people that we work with. They not only work with us to achieve the same goal, they want to share their, their work, their mission, but they're also fundamentally the community that hold each other together, make sure that you know we can not only provide each other with latest information, but also with that support of when rest is needed, to pass over the mic when someone needs to step up and someone needs to take a breather. So I think that community element is the fundamentally where hope grows and you can't have hope without action and even sometimes being in a community and seeing what other people are doing 
uh, seeing what they're achieving gives you hope. So I think that's crucial. So uh, I started a company in 2019. It's called Nine Trees Community Interest Company. And we're based in the UK and we create biodiverse woodlands of the future that you can visit today. So individuals and businesses sponsor a tree or nine trees or 900 trees. Uh, and then we go out and find altruistic landowners and plant a woodland or a nature reserve on their land. And then the individuals or business sponsors are able to visit that land and watch hope grow. So as they watch the trees grow with their like children or their clients or their team members, they've got a real sense of um, like hope for the future. Why nine? So each individual in the UK emits roughly nine tons of carbon into the atmosphere annually. And each tree, um, based on a hectare of woodland uh, in the UK, sequesters one ton of carbon in its whole life. So it's would be great if we planted 900 trees 60 or 100 years before we were born, but we didn't do that. It'd be great if we planted them when we were born, but we didn't do that. So we are where we are now. So let's plant nine trees every year to try and balance our carbon footprint in 100 years. And if you want to plant more, then we'll plant more for you. What was your motivation for setting up the company? So I've worked in conservation for many, many years. And also through conservation, usually you're just conserving the habitats that are there. So I was doing a lot of cutting down trees, cutting a lot of gorse down, burning that to keep it as grassland. Or I was um, you know, creating uh, wildflower meadows or building stone walls. But all the time, uh, land was being changed from woodland or what it was like a wildflower meadow into farmland or onto building sites and into roads. So we're not actually having a positive effect. We're just slowly keeping everything as it was. So I also, at the time, was traveling a bit for humanitarian efforts, and I do snowboard every now and again, and that, that's, that's flights. And I'm worried about my own carbon footprint. So I did just back of the napkin kind of maths and found out it was nine tons. And I thought, if I want to balance this, I'd have to buy a big field, plant thousands of trees, and it would take a lot of time and cost a lot of money. I can do this. I don't necessarily have the money to buy the land. So let's ask landowners if they'll donate land and let's ask more people to magnify the effect. And then the other director, when we started it in 2019, said, we need to just not worry about individuals, but we need to add businesses because they've got a lot of money. We can talk to one business and get like 10 or 20,000 pounds. It'll take us a long time to speak to a thousand individuals and get that much money. So yeah, so Mindy was born in 2019. It's four years later now and we're doing all right. Yeah. And we hope to do better. How many trees have you planted so far? It's only 15,000 trees, um, but we hope to be planting 10,000 every year for the next couple of years. And then uh, really our aim is to plant 100,000 trees in the next six or seven years. So we want to plant in every single county of the UK. At the moment, it's just six counties, including one in Scotland, uh, some in Wales and some in England, and Northern Ireland, a site coming on board this year. Um, we take like a scientific-based approach and apply lots of like models to it through mapping um, and find out if it is the right thing to do. There's 50 stages basically we go through with a landowner before we even set foot on the land. 
and then we look after the trees for 50 years and make sure they're having the most positive effect. So you mentioned a couple of times about life cycle of a tree. So I know, so recently we were speaking to somebody from the Woodland Trust and they were saying that uh, an oak tree, for example, a couple of hundred years old, that's old, and then other trees, 80 is old. So when you mentioned or an ancient tree, actually the word ancient was what we were actually talking about. Um, what what life cycle are you thinking about in your in your mind when you when you're doing when you're working that out? How long? Uh, yeah, so an ancient tree is usually like a thousand or two thousand years old, um, and an old tree would be like two hundred to five hundred years old. And so we're talking about trees that are like teenagers, basically, fifty years old by the time the site's um, out of lease with us, and everyone generally lives till about they're ninety years old and our market is a 30-year-old person. So we're hopeful that the trees will reach at least enough maturity to have sequestered the carbon they're meant to by the time the individual dies. Um, and our company is a company that works in 50-year stages, basically. So we're thinking of the future of thousands of years, not just the next five years. You mentioned at the beginning having um, like a diverse a diverse range of trees why is that important why do you need to make sure that it's native trees to the area that you're you're planting in why is that the case so um often uh we plant monoculture crops in the uk and that's for sustainable woodland uh through the forestry commission however they can acidify the soil and um it's not as good for biodiversity and the main thing that's happened in the uk uh over the last hundred years is a massive decline in biodiversity so a biodiverse broadleaf woodland that is well managed hosts over 4,000 different species, whereas a monoculture crop um, of sitka spruce or red cedar might only support about 44 different species. Um, and we can't just deal with the climate crisis. We also have to deal with the biodiversity loss and the mental health crisis that we're going through. So it's about getting people into those woodlands. You know, if you walk in a um, Sitka spruce woodland, it can be a bit scary and desolate, and that's not so good for the mind. Whereas walk, walking in an ancient woodland, or you know, lovely woodlands of oaks and hazels and all the lovely trees that we expect from Britain, can really enlighten the mind and the like. The different structure of the canopy, you know, it's all undulating. So, I think it's for many different reasons, but mainly biodiversity and well-being. There's no better feeling than when you walk through a woodland and it's hot, especially if there's like any any seasonal yeah. change for me. So oh, spring and autumn, absolutely beautiful. But also the lovely stillness in the winter, like if it is raining, it is a lovely place to go. You you can sort of be in the rain but not be in the rain. There's always that little canopy of, of protection that storm do I do or wind as well protection. Um, just have one more question for you. Um. What's the one thing you wish everybody knew about what you do? That if you suffer from eco-anxiety, an easy way to start um, taking responsibility for the world is to plant a tree and to visit a woodland. And that's what we hope to achieve. So I'm Sandra, I am the current chair of the West Bristol Climate Action Group. We are a local group in Bristol, West Bristol, um, of just concerned citizens. Everyone has their own um, 
special like or want that they want to see lately. So we all basically got together. The members change, they come and go. So some of the topics that we deal with also change. A lot of action groups locally deal with one specific topic. Um, but we tend to cover a few different topics. We also run educational talks occasionally. Um, where we get guest speakers to come in, like they're usually the specialists in their field. We sort of pluck them, usually the university or something like that, and they'll come down. And our membership is about, uh, well, we have about 350 people that we sort of reach out to, but any, obviously, it's everyone in the local area as well. But they sort of come along and we talk on various different subjects. We've approached subjects from the moment we're doing things like um, one of our members is uh, very active with the local council and himself in his job at rewilding areas. So you'll see certain areas in our uh, in our local neighbourhood that um, wildflowers have just sprung up on. And that's because we've been working with people and the local council and trying to bring some local nature back in, which affects our carbon footprint locally. So we're all trying to do something that you... We talk about things on a national scale or a global international scale. We're doing it locally on our own doorstep. Um, and I don't think we're the only ones doing that either. Uh, and it's, it's a goal for us all to sort of uh, get together with other local groups to do the same things as well. Uh, and one of the projects that's being toyed around with at the moment and talked about is um, creating wildlife corridors between us and other towns as well. And you've probably seen something similar. If you, I don't know if you're aware of Bristol, if you're from here at all. There's a local high street um, and all the... Um, the pedestrian crossings in the middle usually got a little bit of mud either side of them and sort of walk in the middle of the road go to the other side somebody's planted wildflowers up the entire street so what was usually uh, like typically grass in the past or just a little bit of mud now these beautiful wildflowers grow from it and they've done that right in the smack and in the heart of an urbanized area so you'll see, that wasn't us by the way, that was somebody else, so I can't take credit for that. <laughs> uh, but again, another project for the future is rewilding parts of, of, of beautiful um, local areas that have just become, they're, they're still green areas, but we're trying to bring back some of the lost wildflowers that have come in. Some other members have dealt with things like uh, the carbonisation that we see with the amount of traffic on the road, transport, public systems, trying to encourage people um, to find good ways of moving away from always getting in a car to go somewhere, maybe go out on foot, use public transport, get a bicycle, you know, um, and do things that you can do that won't cost anything. If you go and you want to exercise, so maybe go to the shops less, find somewhere local that you can walk to, so you'll actually be getting fit. It won't be costing you anything, so you won't have to pay for it. You'll still be getting your shopping. You'll be reducing the carbon footprint. There's all these kind of, I don't know, sensible, but there's different ways of thinking about things that we do on a daily basis that we can do that have a massive impact. And you might think, it's just me. What difference is that going to make? There's billions of us on the planet. And if we all did stuff like that, it would make a huge difference. So you kind of jumped um, straight from talking about something local there to something really big so, that, so that's it. all to local so yeah. what's your motivation what was your motivation for thinking like what has brought you to the point where you're like I really need to work at this I need to do this what's your motivation it's always been there um, I think 
I think it's been there from when I grew up. And I think a lot of people are like that as well, but you become sort of complacent in the world that you live in. I've got a driving license. I used to have a car. I didn't think about it because it was convenient for me to get to work and to go to different places. And then when I moved to Bristol, um, it was really expensive to park and I couldn't find a space. So I moved away from it because I knew I could walk. And then I was like, I actually kind of like this. And then I moved on from there. And it snowballs. It's, it's usually the butterfly effect, I think they call it. Something small happens and it's not necessarily something that you plan and then it rolls on from there. And once you reach one goal, keep that and move on to the next goal and then another one and another one. Before you know it, you've done all these different things, a variety of things, and you've made a change to yourself and those around you. See, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast a lot of people come and a lot of people go. How do you hold your vision there when you've got people coming and going all the time and a lot of change? How do you stand, you know, stand the course of what it is you're trying to achieve? We, we maintain, um, obviously, a footprint of what's happened before. You know, we, we, we have newsletters that have gone out and websites, so we can see the work that all the other members that have been there in the past have done. It's good work as well, it's solid stuff. But it's usually around the same kind of topics. Um, I'm just about to start one on food waste um, that I'm talking to a local PhD student about. She actually approached uh, me completely out of the blue, so I'm sort of helping her on that. And that's opening up a whole new topic. Um, that we've never really approached before. And I've just discovered just by chatting to some of the other committee members that one of the others did a huge study on that um, years ago now. So the more we get together and the more we talk, the more we realize we're all actually on the same page. And we don't limit ourselves to just one topic, which is why you probably hear me bouncing around from subject to subject. Um, because the climate crisis, the CO2 emissions, is an holistic group of multitude of different things. You started off by doing something on the weather and, and you've diversified onto doing different things yourselves, you know. It's this thing you sort of fall down this, uh, what do you call it, the rabbit hole? This wormhole. Uh, and it's never ending of ways that you can change and uh, I suppose try to make a difference in the world. There's a learning curve. I'm no expert. I will never claim to be an expert on it. But I love trying to find out new things. I love discovering new things um that's, what that's where is, I am. what's your what are you most proud of having achieved well ask me that again in a year maybe two years i don't know we're, we're, we're constantly moving i'm proud that this group has made a difference that you can like things that you can see we've done talks before they come they go you know people have promoted like i said the car free bristol and going out on your bike but I really like the wildflower project that we're working on at the moment because I can walk past that every day. And it's a reminder that we've actually done something tangible that not only we can see, people that don't even know our group can walk past and they can see. And um, the member who spearheaded that whole thing is very, very active at making little facts and bits and things at educational boards. So just as if you two were walking past, you see, you'd stop, you read it, learn something new, and you can see that we were trying to make a difference. I like that. That makes me proud because I can see that we made an actual difference in our neighbourhood. You know, setting the conversation to continue even when you're not around. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we spark interest in people, and, and that's what it's all about: making people feel good that there's actual, real, positive change happening. You know. Which brings me on to the next question, actually, which is, you know, do you have hope? Always. 
never give up hope. Never. No one has ever give up hope. There's always tomorrow, there's always something else. And when you think that everything is spiraling out of control, you look around you at things like this, how all these people have come together. You know, and this isn't the only summer, and there's all these people trying to bounce ideas off each other um, to try and make a difference. I've already learned things. I've been writing furiously today with all the, the talks that I've been and trying to pick up pointers and asking people to send me their presentation PowerPoint notes because I couldn't write fast enough to get it all down. It was just a wealth of information that they were like whizzing through, like on the writer's cramp, like trying to get it all down fast enough. And, so I'm going to take that home with me and do it in my letters. See if I can then do not not a podcast like you, but I can write it down and do a blog about it. You know, so and then pass that information on again. So I think that's what we're doing at the moment. Everyone's sort of getting together, and it's one big collective think tank. It's a new type of common sense, if you like, a sense that we all want to do something about what's happening, but no one knows exactly what. And I love the fact that business is getting on board this as well. Because when you go to the shops and you're inspired to do things like buy zero packaging, take your own bags with you, you know, take a refillable box, all these kind of things. And then the companies will sell their products in huge sacks. And then someone else will literally just pull up a tank. And so big business helps you do that, actually. Um, and they're coming to the table and sitting down as well. So everyone is doing it. Yes, there'll be people that are making mistakes. And yes, there'll be people that someone will come along and say, yeah, but they're doing this wrong and that wrong. We're all on that journey together and we're all learning as we have along. Now, and finally, the one thing that we like to ask everybody is, what's the one thing that you wish everybody knew about what you do? So what's the one thing that you wish everybody knew about environmental local community? It's not that difficult to make a change. It really isn't. It's so easy. It can be anything from beginning to grow your own vegetables on plant pot on your windowsill. And even if you live in a flat and you have no garden, stick it right next to the window and you've made a change. It's that simple. We really hope you've enjoyed this special episode of the podcast all the way from the Blue Earth Summit. If you would like to subscribe, rate and review the podcast, that would mean a lot to us. It really helps other people find our podcast and we get to share our love of the weather with more people. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, we are for the love of weather. On Twitter, we are the number four love of weather. And as always, we just really hope that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. Thanks for listening. (music) 